Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. Told that many of us only get to watch a movie when Robert comes. Uh, so watch morning everybody um, today is father's day and uh, we want to talk about the measure of a man and we have to think about how we're measuring our men um, I want to start by thanking Pastor Shiramba Reverend Shiramba for giving me the opportunity to share God's word with us this morning as he mentions we, we go back more than 40 years here now in high school together, so that's more than 40 years back. So it, having a few of your, your old friends. And uh, please say hi to your sister. <laughs> it's, it's been, I started teaching Sunday school in 1986. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a long time back. I think she was in primary school when I probably, I think she was in primary school when I engaged with her. So that's wonderful. I want us to look at five thoughts, each starting with the letter P, that help us to think through how you measure a man. We've looked at some of the measures of a man in the little video clip, which tends to be how we measure men. You know, we think, you know, that man is doing well. Huh? He's got this car, he's got this boat, he's got this house, he eats here, he, you know. That, that's typically how we tend to measure men. Uh, but this morning I want to look at five measures that you can actually use for a man, even a thing about Father's Day. You know, is this man purpose-driven, right? Because that's actually how God looks at us, right? God looks at you based on your purpose. What kind of life are you living? Are you living a pure life? Are you a promise keeper? Uh, are you impacting people? And do you remember that you're a pilgrim in this world? Those are five measures. I'm sure there are many others. But those are five measures I want, to th I want us to think through this morning. Uh, in terms of how does God measure the kind of man you are. None of them have to do with how much you have in the bank account and what neighborhood you live in. These are more important things to God. This Father's Day message is actually dedicated to the memory of my father, uh, Richard Mbugwa. 
he went with the Lord uh, last year, in January of last year, uh, and he was my greatest encourager. And uh, in large measure, I am what I am today because of my father. And I'm sure each of you has memories of your own fathers, living or not living. But in my case, I thought this morning, I'll just dedicate this message uh, to my father. What standard should we use to measure a man? And, and, and for those who basically place a high premium on accuracy, that saying, beauty is in there of the beholder, is not from Nelson Mandela. <laughs> so don't, don't get me wrong, it's not Nelson Mandela who said that. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And why do I put Nelson Mandela? Because sitting here, many of us would measure Nelson Mandela as a global icon. And yet I lived in South Africa for many, many years. A lot of my professional life was in South Africa. And when I got to South Africa, Nelson Mandela was the president of South Africa. But this man spent about 27 years in prison. Why? Because measured by certain people, this guy was a criminal, right? He was a murderer. He was a terrorist. So some people would think that man was a terrorist, and other people would think he's a global icon. So when you're measured, what we need to think through is what measure are we using to think through the man, right? Uh, and when you're trying to measure ourselves, by some measures, some of the people who've done, made a lot of money, are doing very, very well. But that's based on one measure. But what measure should we be using when we are thinking about how somebody is doing. And that's why I say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It really depends on who's measuring this person. The world measures us based on how powerful we are. But how does God measure your life? And that's what I want to focus on this Father's Day, right? The measure of a man. Clayton Christensen was a professor of business administration at the Harvard Business School. In 2011, Apollo was taken of lots of executives, consultants, business school professors, all those people, people in the business world basically were all polled, lots of them. And Christensen was named as the most influential business thinker in the world. This man was named as the most influential man from a business point, business thinking strategy. He's the most influential man in the world. Two years later in 2013, Christensen was again named the most influential business thinker in the world. In 2010, um, Clayton was actually asked to give the commencement speech or the commencement address for the Harvard Business School graduating class. And he gave a powerful speech to the, to the graduating class. The speech came at a very, at a rather intense time of personal reflection in his life. Because Christensen had just suffered or had just survived from a cancer which had also killed his father. So his father died of cancer. And then Christian got exactly the same cancer. And at this point, he had just survived this cancer. So when he went to speak to the Harvard business class, Christensen basically talked about how do you measure your life? And, 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 and it became quite, quite, what do you call it? And it became more and more intense because all the time he was talking to this, you know, to his friends, to his family, to all manner of people. He kept talking about it. And eventually, they actually published, you know, um, this, you know, his thoughts in a book. And part of the title just says, how will you measure your life? Uh, I've got a copy. Maybe I should lend a copy to, to the pastor, right? But you could actually get a copy of that book. Professor Christensen stated that in the face of death, 
all those amazing things he had achieved as the world's foremost business thinker meant less and less. He stated, I've concluded that the metric by which God will assess my life isn't dollars, but the individual people whose lives I have touched. He concluded by challenging the graduating class. This is the Harvard Business School class, which has got a commencement speaker, probably ready to tell them how to go and conquer the world, make money, change this. But what is this man telling them? He actually concludes his address by telling the class, think about the metric by which your life will be judged and make a resolution to live every day so that in the end, your life will be judged a success. Karura, think about the metric by which your life will be judged and make a resolution to live every day so that in the end, your life will be judged a success. So I'll give some thoughts around some of those matrices and think about them. And once you've thought about them, decide that you're going to live your life so that at the end, uh, when your life is judged, then you shall be measured as having been successful, not having owned a big car or a big house or eaten well. Think about how your life is going to be measured. My five thoughts. Number one, from Philippians 3 verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see, Paul recognizes in Philippians 3 that Christ Jesus took hold of him for a reason. That reason is called his purpose. And therefore he says, I do everything to basically to take hold of my purpose, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Are you taking hold of something that Jesus took hold of you for? You then move to Acts chapter, I'm sorry, um, yeah, Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. But one thing I do, not two things, not ten things, not a hundred things, not times people are such scatterbrains, but Paul comes and says, one thing I do. You know, he, he's focusing on one thing. He's focusing on one, his purpose. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. You see, he's looking at a very specific thing and saying, God has called me, God has given me a purpose. And that's the one thing I want to spend my life doing. You see, God measures us on the basis of that purpose. In Acts 13, 36, we read, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he rested. You see, his purpose was different from Paul's purpose. Paul was an evangelist. David was not an evangelist. David was a king. So God can actually call you, and the purpose in your life could be a, to be a politician. David served God's purpose in his generation. He rested. David was not called to build the temple. That work was given to his son. Therefore, David rested before the temple was actually built because God calls each of us and gives us a purpose. And God judges us based on the purpose he's given us. In Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Again, Jeremiah had been given a purpose even before he was born. God gives us that purpose so early. In 1 Corinthians 4, we read, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We must be faithful to the purpose to which God has called us. God is going to judge our lives, not on the basis of what you didn't do, 
God is not going to judge me on the basis of what Pastor Shiramba was doing because I need to stick to my own lane and he's got his own lane. God is going to ask you, did you stick to your lane? I put you on a lane and asked you to do something. That was your purpose. Did you achieve your purpose? Now, some years back, the church went through the book, Purpose, Purpose Driven Life. And uh, Rick Warren basically wrote this book. I think they've sold over 30 million copies. And after the Bible, this is one of the most sold books in the history of, of I guess, of publishing. And uh, what it does is basically focus on the fact that at the end of your life, the extent to which you meet your purpose is basically the way you're going to be measured. And if you're able to get a copy of that book, Purpose Driven Life, I would encourage you to do that. Before you are born, God already planned your life. God longs for you to discover the life he uniquely created you to live. Ask yourself some questions. Existence. Why am I alive? Significance. Does my life really matter? Purpose. What on earth am I here for? You need to start asking yourself, why am I here? Karura, once again, I ask you, think about the metric by which your life will be judged. And make a resolution to live every day so that in the end, your life will be judged a success. If your life is going to be measured, not by men, but by God, and it's going to be successful, the first thing you must do is to ensure that your life is purpose-driven. You're living for a purpose. But the second thought I want us to go through is basically one to do with living a pure life. The Apostle Paul mentored Timothy. And Paul wrote the book of Timothy as he's nearing his death. And I think the last time I spoke here, we looked at Paul getting ready to die. One of the last things Paul tells Timothy is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul tells his son Timothy, you need to be exemplary as far as purity is concerned. Hebrews 13.4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Proverbs chapter 6, can a man scoop fire into his lap? Can you actually get fire? Think of going to your village and getting fire from uh, the wooden stove. Can you actually get fire and put it on your leg, on your thigh? Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. When God judges a man, when God judges us, he actually judges us based on our purity, right? God is less interested in how much money you've made, how much power you have. You know, we live in a world where if somebody is very powerful or somebody is very wealthy, then we give them a pass. But God is no respecter of persons. When God judges our lives, God is going to measure us based on our purity first, based on our purpose, but also based on whether we lived a pure life. As we look through the Bible, we find so many examples of positive and negative examples of people living pure lives. I think of Joseph, a young man, a teenager. I don't know how, how old are you, by the way? How old are you? 13. Okay, Joseph was a bit older than you. Joseph was probably 17 or 18 years old, right? And Joseph is approached by Mrs. Potiphar. 
Now remember that Joseph is living very far away from home. It's very much like your parents are here and you've gone to study, say, in America. You're very far from home. Joseph was far away from home. Whatever he did, nobody was ever going to know. But Mr. Potiphar was also in the office. So whatever they did, nobody was ever going to know. But Joseph chose purity. In fact, one of the lessons you learn from Joseph is that a good run is better than a bad stand, right? There's no use making a stand, you know, at the, I'm standing. When some things happen, you just run away. So Joseph took off, right? And Joseph, in the short term, looked stupid. In the long term, we celebrate Joseph. He's one of the most Christ-like figures in the whole of the Old Testament, right? He's one of the only figures in the Old Testament where you don't find that he ever made a mistake. You know, we know that Abraham, Telezad, David, Telezad, who... But Joseph is a very Christ-like figure in so many ways. You know, went ahead on behalf of his brothers, just like Jesus did on our behalf. So there are many, many things about Joseph. But the big thing about Joseph is Joseph chose purity. We need to choose purity even in the workplace, even in very difficult circumstances. But the Bible also gives us examples of people who didn't do that. Think about Samson. Samson was a he-man with a she-problem, right? Every time you meet this man, He's basically engaging with some lady or the other. And finally, he meets this lady called Delilah, a prostitute. What is God's man doing with a prostitute, right? But he was hanging out with Delilah. And you know the story? He got the most famous haircut in history. And uh, <laughs> after the haircut, his eyes went, right? It wasn't worth it, right? You remember the Proverbs, you know, can a man scoop fire and not get burned, Right? This man basically lost his eyes and never met his mission. And what destroyed his life was the issue of purity. The Bible tells us, think not yourself strong, lest you fall, right? And you know, there are many, many cases we can look at of men who have fallen. You know, we can look at politicians, you know, Bill Clinton with Monica. I mean, and they are all the time, right? Every time you look, and you know, people will be saying, oh, this is such a great man. But you start looking at their lives and you say, but that's not quite that good. You know, I'm thinking of the wealthiest man in the world today, Elon Musk. He was in Bloomberg, um, I think I was reading about it, maybe two, three weeks ago, where Elon Musk is now involved in an affair with somebody. Uh, it's, it's actually quite an embarrassing case, you know. But, but people will give him a pass because he's the wealthiest man in the world, right? But Bloomberg actually did report on it, right? What are we getting at? So many people are basically destroying their lives and their reputations, simply because of a lack of purity. Unfortunately, it's also in the church, right? If it was just out there, that would be fine. But even in the church, we find it. In one of the books I enjoyed reading some years back was a book by somebody called Jim Baker. And the title of the book, it's actually an autobiography. Jim Baker wrote his autobiography, and he just titled it and said, I was wrong. You know, he didn't make any excuses. He simply says, guys, I was wrong, right? Who was Jim Baker? In the 1970s, Jim Baker was basically the founder of Satellite TV. So when you think of Christian TV and all the TV we watch all over the world and all the evangelism, this is actually the father of all Christian TV. Right? After Billy Graham, this was perhaps the most powerful Christian man in the whole of America, if not in the whole of the world. Right? Uh, it is said that Jim Baker actually helped Ronald Reagan get elected as president of America. And Ronald Reagan was probably the greatest president of the 20th century in the U.S. by some by some accounts, but this man perhaps got Ronald Reagan elected as president. How? 
he basically got all the conservatives in America and he endorsed Ronald Reagan and people came flocking, you know, the church and everybody. A lot of those people came and voted for Ronald Reagan uh, and to quite an extent, this man was credited with helping vote or helping elect the president of America. Two scandals then brought him down. Jim Baker was accused of sexual misconduct by a 21-year-old church secretary. Her name is uh, Jessica Han. And this led to his resignation from the church, and then after that, there was some misuse of money. This man, such a great man, was brought down by the issue of purity. And if we were to be judged right by God, if we were to be judged right by God, not only should we be purpose-driven, because your purpose might be set up a business, set up a church, set up this. Not only should we be purpose-driven, but we must determine to live pure lives. That's our second P. I now want to go very quickly to our third P because you guys, you know, the intercessors should actually start praying because the clock, when I start speaking, the clock moves very quickly. So you can pray that the clock slows down a little bit. <laughs> In Matthew 5, 37, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why was Jesus saying that? Very briefly, it's because the Jews were very technical people, right? He could come and say yes and he might swear, but he swears in a very technical manner. And when you come to collect, he says, no, 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 no. You see, I swore by the temple, not by God. Or I swore by the gold on the altar, but not by the altar. And these guys would get very technical. And Jesus said, guys, just cut off all that stuff. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Don't, don't start all these technicalities and ways of trying to avoid keeping to what you should be doing. And in Psalms 15, the psalmist basically covers the same thing. He says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy hill or your holy mountain? The one whose work is blameless, who does what is righteous. And then the psalmist says, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Who is, going to dwell on, who is going to dwell on God's holy mountain? It is that man who keeps his oath even when it hurts. You don't just keep your oath when it's convenient. You keep your oath even when it hurts. And I thought about a story about two of my, two of my, two of my, my guys. One is a friend, one is an acquaintance. And my friend decided he wanted to buy a house, a good house. He was a top professional in Kenya. And he decided now it's time to buy a really good home. And he went to one of my acquaintances and decided to buy a house from him. My acquaintance was selling, my buddy was buying. And they met, really nice property, about three acres in a very prestigious part of Nairobi, or outskirts of Nairobi. And they shook hands and says, you know, the property will be X. For argument's sake, the property is 40 million shillings. And they shook hands, 40 million, done, done, okay. And once I'd shaken their hands, the guy says, you know, I'm actually flying out of Kenya. I've got some business, whatever. And the other guy says, incidentally, I'm also just flying out. I think I've got a graduation party I'm attending in Europe. So the guys then say, okay, what do we do in a month's time? When we're both back in Kenya, let's get our lawyers together. Let them fix this whole thing. And they both flew out. About a month or six weeks later, they both showed up. And the seller says, you know, while you're away, <laughs> you know those conversations that start while you're away, somebody else showed up and they saw this property. And they decide they're willing to pay something like, say, 50 million shillings for it. And my friend realizes where this conversation is going. You know, those conversations, they start like that. 
normally is uh, you know if you can up your game just a little bit isn't it we can uh, we can sort this matter out and my friend is now you know you know my friend and then the seller says no 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 listen now uh, um we agreed on 40 million shillings but this other guy wants 50 million i've got i've got a suggestion for you i don't know how you like my suggestion he says what's your suggestion you know now you're probably waiting to be told let's meet halfway no no make it 48 and the seller says no since this guy really wants a house at 50 million we can sell the house to him at 50 million and i'll give 10 million to you i'll give you the entire profit alternatively buy the house at 40 million shillings the guy says what do you mean the guy says didn't we shake hands when we shook hands before we flew out i don't need contracts right we shook hands and that was the final that that the deal ended the lawyers are just coming to finalize the thing and my friend actually bought that house right at the lower price today the last time i looked at it the price has increased i think by more than 100 million shillings right because this man understood what the bible says who keeps his oath even when it hurts right who says yes it becomes yes who says no it becomes no right god wants us to be promise keepers we live in a community where everybody is conning the other even christians are conning other christians we need to have a few people who behave like this man right and may god bless this man who basically did whatever he did right so far we've looked at three matrices by which god measures a man right we've basically looked at the purpose purity and basically being a promise keeper keeping your oath even while it hurts i want to look at one more and then i think we can uh, get to the conclusion in matthew 25 Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you give me something to eat. I was thirsty, you give me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? The king replied, truly... I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of this, brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So the fourth metric by which I want us to consider, and I think that God looks at us, is not so much by the number of people who serve us, but by the people we serve, right? Are we making an impact in our community, right? Uh, what are we doing about other people? Uh, are we making a difference in this community? You know, almost 30 years ago, I had the honor or the privilege of meeting Clive and Mary Beckham. As a young girl, Clive believed her purpose was to basically help needy children or sick children. So she actually, I think as a teenager in the UK, went to train as a nurse. And then some years ago, I mean, this is around 1994, they actually came to Kenya and started the New Life Home, right? That New Life Home has actually rescued, you know, they actually look for abandoned kids. You know, when HIV was a bigger issue, kids would just be born and be abandoned. Kids were in dustbins, kids were all over the place. What these guys would do is they would actually go get those abandoned kids. And as a nurse, you obviously knew how to look after those kids. They would look after those kids, get them back into good health, and then basically look for, you know, look for people to adopt those kids. And some of those kids went to such amazing families. I think the, the deputy British high commission actually came and adopted one. 
I saw another boy, I think, was being taken to Germany. I mean, so they got all these kids and got them into really amazing families. You know, at the last count, these guys had actually rescued more than 2,200 children. We're not talking about rescuing one or two kids. These are British couple coming to Kenya and rescuing over 2,000 kids, right? I had the privilege of calling these guys my friends. In fact, I was in touch with them about a, a week or two ago, right? Uh, recently, I think it was in February of this year, that is uh, King Charles, right, the new king of England. He actually honored both the husband and the wife with an MBE, right? Even the British government, I don't think our government in Kenya has ever recognized who these people are, but even the British government recognized these guys, basically both the husband and the wife, so it was not one or the other. Both of them have been given an MBE, right? Um, those are people who spent their lives worrying about other people. They've impacted many people, at least 2,200 young children. And the question I ask ourselves is who are we impacting? You see, when God measures us, God doesn't worry about your logbook. And that's why I start with that little clip, you know, which shows when people look at us, these are the things that we actually tend to measure to basically say, this is a very successful person. But that, that is of no interest to God. When God is measuring us, He's looking at, are you meeting your purpose? Are you living a pure life, right? Are you a promise keeper, right? Are you impacting people in our community? I think I've got a few minutes. Let me tell one last story. I love telling stories. I'll, I'll tell one last story. I think we get to the conclusion. About two weeks ago, uh, after church, I went out for lunch down the road. And uh, I took my daughters out for lunch. And the table next to me is Manu Chandaria. Now, Manu Chandaria is perhaps the wealthiest industrialist in East Africa, maybe in East Africa's history. He's a very, very big industrialist. I think he owns Mabati Rolling Mills, if you have a Mabati house. So these are really big, these are really big, big player in, uh, in the business world. And I've never met him, but he happened to be sitting next to me. And after thinking for a while, because you don't just want to go to a restaurant and start disturbing people. They probably think you want a sponsor, you want this, you want that. So he's come to eat, therefore let him eat. But after some time, I thought, you know what? I want to actually have a chat with him. So I actually walked to his table. And uh, I said, could I have a quick chat with you? And I had a story to tell Manu Chandaria. And the story I had for Manu Chandaria is about 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Manu Chandaria decided to go to Kabete Children's Home. Now, Kabete Children's Home is where you get all these orphans and people who've been left out, and basically they're adopted and just all left over there. And Manu Chandaria, being this really wealthy person, is not spending his life on the golf course. He was actually spending like an afternoon at the children's home. And when he got there, you can imagine all the gifts that you know, this man would bring to, all, you know, to the children and all the things he's doing for them. And they were really excited, and they can mind all the children singing like, you know, like they should. And they really sang for him, and it was a really nice time. And when they finished, I think they said, can one of you kids give a vote of thanks, right? And uh, one little girl, I think she was about 18 years old, you know, yeah, could I, me, 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 you know. So she told, okay, come and give her. And she came and gave such a beautiful vote of thanks. Everybody wondered, how is, you know, who is this who's giving such a vote of thanks like this? She happened to be an orphan, right? Her mom died, I think, when she was about three months old. 
and her dad died, I think, maybe when she was about four years old. So she became an orphan maybe at about the age of four. And she had lived her whole life in this orphanage. But for her fourth form, she had scored a Division One, right? Uh, she was actually the same year with uh, Shiramba. She had actually scored a Division One in her Form 4 and been admitted in Kenya High School. But of course, kids like those don't go to schools like those. So it's more like now her life is done, now she can, uh, I guess, figure out how to survive. And Mani just looked at her, said, okay, so you can't make it to Kenya High, okay. The next day, a limousine turned up at Kabete Children's Home, right? And she was taken to town and they did all the shopping that was required and straight to Kenya High School, he paid her entire school fees, right? Her entire high school was paid by this man, right? Today, that girl, I know her, right? She's discussed that story with me. She's a friend of mine. That girl is a director of one of the largest banks in Kenya and is the chief executive of an IT company. She's one of the authorities in IT in this country, right? So I had a chat with Manu about that, and I told him, of course you don't know. He had never heard about that. All he knows is, you know, one more kid came and he paid and all. Who are you impacting in this life, right? Uh, let's live lives that impact other people because that's how God is going to measure us. But the final thing that God is going to do is God is going to measure us on our recognition that you're really just pilgrims on our way to heaven. We're not here to stay. We're just passing through here, right? What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lost your soul? Because men measure you by how much of the world you've gained but if you've not taken time to think about your own soul, then basically the world will measure you as great. When God looks at you, he's going to use the words you find in Luke. It says, you fool, right? Because you spend your whole life worrying about this, but about eternity. Let's, let, let's close our eyes, right? And perhaps there's one person, today it's not an evangelistic message, but I never like ending a message without giving the chance to anybody who's perhaps had this message and things, you know what? I wish I could actually be right with God. I can actually reboot today and I can change my priorities and I can start living a life that when measured by God, measured by men, you're doing very well. But in the courts of heaven, you're a non-starter. Perhaps you want to reboot today. And if you do, if you raise your hand, I would love to pray for you. And after the service, I'm sure Reverend Shiramba and others will be here to receive you. But is there anybody who would say, Robert, please pray for me? either to get saved or to just change your priorities to start focusing on the things that God will measure you for. Anybody wants me to pray for them? Yes, I can see, I can see some hands going up. Thank you so much. Lord God, I want to thank you for this morning and thank you for those people who raised their hands. Lord God, we pray that this morning we shall learn how to focus on being measured but the things that you measure, not the things that men measure, but help us to worry and to focus and to think about how you're going to measure our lives and to then really live in line with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ or talk to or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721-990-880. God bless you.